Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Wonder Woman in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and our Wonder Woman in Business podcasts gives a voice to the woman who has a story that is meaningful, moving, and compelling. We share their stories, or rather, they share their stories with the world so that in their shining, they give permission to others to shine. And I'm so excited today. We have a refreshing guest, uh, a colorist, a futurist, an adventurist. There are a lot of ists in there. But Melissa Dinwiddie is joining us today as our special guest, our Wonder Woman in Business. It's my pleasure to welcome you to this platform and the microphone. And so I'm going to invite Melissa to tell us about her story invite us into her world and help us journey with her from everything that has actually happened to make her into the woman that she is today. Melissa, I'm handing the microphone over to you. Thank you, Natalie. It's so great to be here. Well, <laughs> we were just talking uh, briefly before you hit record and uh, you mentioned the word reinvention, and I feel like that is a word that can kind of um, could kind of be on my tombstone <laughs> when I die because I feel like <laughs> I have reinvented myself so many times. If I cast back to um, you mentioned um, before you hit record that, you know, some people like to go back to their education and their roots and their families. And, uh, you know, way back when, I mean, now, now what I do is I, I help innovative people first organizations who are grappling with boring or non-existent virtual events, trainings or events. And I design creative, interactive, playful virtual experiences that their attendees are going to rave about because they learn new skills or behaviors and build connections while they're having fun all virtually but you know even a year and a half ago i did i had no idea that this is what i was going to be doing <laughs> wow <laughs> and and if i think back to you know 20 years ago we didn't even have really virtual platforms. I mean, I certainly wasn't interacting on virtual platforms 20 years ago. And, you know, I had no idea that this is what I was going to be doing with my life. So, you know, I'm thinking back to, you know, when I went to school, I, I actually got a, my degree is in social science. And, but my second year in college, I actually went to Juilliard in the dance division. And I had every intention of becoming a professional dancer and choreographer. And uh, I got injured while I was at Juilliard. And uh, I didn't know at the time, it was, it was a very insidious injury. It was tendonitis in my ankles. And I had no idea at the time that that was the end of my dance career. I spent five years on the quest for the miracle cure. Mm. And... I, I couldn't, um, but gosh, it's, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but at, at the time it, it was, it was all encompassing. I couldn't 
walk for more than 20 minutes without pain. And I couldn't stand for more than 10 minutes without pain. And I remember I, I would have traded all of that. I would have said I would gladly never walk again if I could just dance. Mm. And um, it's so foreign to me now, but that like all I wanted to do was dance. All I wanted to do was dance, except that is not entirely true because when I was at Juilliard, I remember one of the teachers saying to everybody in the, in the classroom, for some reason we were sitting at desks in this dance class, I don't remember why. And he was lecturing everybody saying, you need to just focus only on dance, only on dance, only on dance. And that's the only thing you need to care about. And I wasn't so, so single-minded. In fact, I remember looking around the room and feeling like we need to mutiny, we need to mutiny. Because <laughs> I actually had a, did have other interests and, and everybody else was like nodding their heads and like blindly following along. And I remember thinking, you know, that's, that's not right. We should be able to have other interests in our lives besides dance. And, uh, and I realized I really didn't fit in at that school. And, um, and then, you know, lo and behold, I got injured and I, and I couldn't dance. So for five years, I was on the quest for the miracle cure. And I ended up dropping out of Juilliard, coming back to UC Berkeley, where I had gone for, a, for one year, graduating from UC Berkeley. And, and then I was really at a loss, didn't know what to do with my life. Um, anyway, to cut a long story short, I ended up um, thinking, well, I'll be an academic. I got a master's degree in England in cultural studies. Um, and, and I truly thought that I was a non-creative person and that dance was my creative thing. I lost dance. That was it. And that, you know, that was my one shot at creativity. Boom, gone. Mm. And uh, when I came back from England, I ended up getting married, planned the wedding. Um, and after the wedding, I started making arts and crafts to procrastinate. And I ended up sort of falling into the art of calligraphy and turned that into a business. And then I got very, very burned out at calligraphy and art because I felt like everything I made had to bring in money. I, I ended up getting divorced and really relying on my art to, to bring in the money got very burned out, spent about 15 years as a professional artist and calligrapher and cut to 2010. And um, I was so done with that, with that field. Um, I, I, I needed to do something else. I needed to get creativity back in my, in my life. And I started a blog called Living a Creative Life because that's what I wanted to do again. And I spent the next several years um, just kind of throwing spaghetti at a wall, figuring out how do I, how do I make a living as a creative person? And how do I get my creativity back? And I figured out how to get past my creative stuckness. And as I was writing about this and sharing what worked for me to get past my creative block, I, I ended up like becoming a, a creativity instigator and making little online courses and things like that. But over the years of doing that, I realized that really where I shine is being working with groups of people. And, uh, and, and, I, and I had sort of created this little online business. So what was I doing with an online business? This didn't really make sense. 
So I pivoted to um, a consultancy. But I, as I thought, well, you know, I really, what I really want to do is, is work with organizations, teams and groups and organizations, but I know nothing about the corporate world because I'd never worked in the corporate world. So here I had to start from zero again and, you know, reinvent myself. So this was back in around 2017. And so for the next few years, I was taking all sorts of trainings and programs and learning how to be a facilitator. And I was just starting to get a little bit of traction there and learning all sorts of things like Lego serious play was a methodology that I had learned. And I was learning how to do graphic facilitation, which pulled on my art background and my calligraphy background. And I just gotten my first paid gig as a graphic facilitator and was about to have another pro bono gig, which was going to be great marketing. And then the pandemic happened. And that pro, pro bono gig was in the first round of conferences that got canceled because of the pandemic. And I thought, well, this is interesting. Now, what am I going to do? And a month went by and I looked around and I saw some of my colleagues were helping people who were struggling with virtual meetings because people really didn't know what to do on Zoom. Now, in the meantime, I had started doing improv classes back in 2013, which is something I'd always, always, always wanted to do. And I'd finally started taking classes back in 2013 and fallen madly in love with the art of improv, performing on stage. And you know, this is something I'd been very afraid of doing and started doing and really fell in love with this as a life skill and something that I had been weaving into my business as well. And uh, in an applied way, using applied improvisation, taking activities from the world of theater and improv and using them in the business world. And, uh, and so this community of people using improv in this way was uh, just on fire with what do we do in, on Zoom? How do we make this work? Since now this is what we're, you know, constrained by. This is what we're limited to, right? So how, what do we do? So uh, the improv world, the improv community, the, the community of applied improvisers was meeting, having all these meetings regularly and playing around and how can we break Zoom? What do we do with it, right? So I, I am a natural, um, and in the strengths finder world, I'm, an in, I'm very high on input. I collect and I curate and I gather things so that I can share them, right? So I was collecting all these ideas and activities and what works. And, and so I started, I'm very active on LinkedIn and I started asking people, what are your biggest challenges when it comes to virtual meetings? Uh, what do you, you know, what do you need? What, what, uh, what do you need to, what, you know, what are your biggest challenges? What do you need help with? And I started offering some beta workshops on what I call non-boring virtual meetings. And they went really well. And I, you know, they were glitchy. The first one, actually, there was a power outage of all things. <laughs> right. <laughs> no control over that. <laughs> no control over that. And I got a lot of feedback to help me make them better. And I ran another one and another one. And they were, you know, it was very scary. 
to put something out there that was not perfect. But I, I said, this is a beta, you know, this is not going to be perfect. It's, it's not refined. It's not polished. And I took the leap and I kept, you know, tweaking things and improving them. And I didn't charge, you know, a huge amount of money for it. And I got, you know, a decent amount of people who were signing up for these workshops and be, and I was constantly talking about it on LinkedIn and sharing ideas and sharing activities. And, and because of that, I got a lot of, you know, in a lot, a lot of eyeballs, mm-hmm. say. not, you know, not a ton of, um, it's not like I have like a ginormous platform, a ginormous following or anything, but you know, there was, there was interest. And then somebody that I knew from, uh, we had taken a, a, a couple of programs together on uh, sales training and lead generation. She happened to be at the time embedded as a researcher at Facebook she reached out to me and said, Hey, we need to do an offsite. The team that I'm working with, is this even possible virtually? And I said, why? Yes. Why? Yes. In my, <laughs> in my wheelhouse, I can help you with that. So I piloted this program that they, what they needed was help communicating for influence to take the, learn how to take their research insights and communicate them in a way that other people could understand, where they could find common ground. They needed to understand how to empathize with their audience and learn diplomacy skills and things like that. And it happened to be just the perfect, um, kind of the perfect storm of the, because they had a need, because it was the pandemic that had to be virtual, they never would have reached out to me if it, if they didn't, if it wasn't a need for virtual. So I got my foot in the door and because it was virtual, I was able to create a program that was actually stronger than it would have been if it were in person. Cause if it had been in person, it would have been a one day program and it wouldn't have been nearly as strong because because it was virtual, I was able to design it as a multi-day program with a week in between the sessions so that they had time to practice and implement and integrate what they were learning. So the learning was so much deeper and stronger. And because I use improv in what I do, It wasn't me standing up there lecturing with a PowerPoint, which would have gone in one ear and out the other. Instead, I teach by using play-based activities where they're they're playing a game, basically. You know, one person's pretending to be a time traveler from 500 years ago, and the other person is having to explain how their cell phone works while not wanting the time traveler to condemn them to witchcraft. You know, it's like that type of thing. And they have two minutes to do that. And then they all come back to the main room and we debrief it and say, well, what worked and what didn't work? How do you, how do you communicate with a time traveler from 500 years ago when there's no electricity and they think that you're, you know, they're going to think that you're a witch. 
So what do you have to do? Well, you have to, you know, and then they come up with the insights. They are the ones who have to figure it out on their own. And so the learning is so much deeper and richer because they're the ones who have the the, the light bulb goes off over their head. They have the aha moment of that insight, right? So I developed this program and then it, it was so, it went so well that that manager raved about it to other managers at Facebook who then brought me back and I was able to expand it to a longer program. And so I ended up coming back, I think four, five more times over the next six months or something. And, and then another company reached out to me to design a virtual instructor-led training program to onboard their new customers. And then they had, they brought me back after I beta, helped them beta test that program. They brought me back to uh, train their contract staff to stand up the program. And then a, um, a startup company hired me to design a um, uh, workshops to market their pro their it's they're kind of a competitor to um, to zoom actually so all of a sudden I realized wait a minute here I am mm-hmm. all this uh, virtual stuff and and when the what there was that brief period of time where it looked like the pandemic was going to be over for like about two weeks and I thought, well, gee, do I want to go back to being in person? Right. Or, and I, you know, Natalie, I have, I have about two or $3,000 worth of Lego (laughs) that I bought after being trained in Lego serious play. And, you know, I invested and I, and I have so many markers and all of these, this physical things, materials, right. Yeah. Yeah. Doing in-person graphic facilitation and I thought to myself, do I want to go back to doing in-person or do I want to plant my flag as a virtual experience designer? And I made the decision, even though here I, I had thought my strength is being in rooms. Facilitating. Mm-hmm. Yep. With mm-hmm. bodies, right? And I made the decision to plant my flag as a virtual experience designer, even though I love being in actual rooms with people. And I'm not at all saying that I don't like being in person or I don't like leading in-person events. I just led an in-person retreat. Right. In-person and we'll, and I want to get to that retreat too, but this amazing journey that you were on that's taken you to this intersection of, you know, First, you were exploring, I'm really not even sure what I want to be. <laughs> and you you evolved into something very unique, which I don't think I've ever heard of before. Um, <laughs> this is all new to me. So you're like this discovery. Um, and, you know, here we see that you, the relevance that you you bring to the equation is that so many people have this unknown um, Uh, lack of experience in the virtual world, which, you know what, you may have made a fabulous decision because the hybrid situation at best is going to continue for a really long time. Yeah. And I'm just processing and thinking about 
your base is now exponentially like all over the place, which is incredible. So what has that meant to you as, as a woman? Now you're seeing a whole different um, type of business emerge from passions that you had, that you kind of created this niche. So you yeah. really created this niche opportunity. And, you know, what is it that, you know, you feel in terms of how you've gotten into this space? Is it empowering for you? What, what, what do you reflect on that? What's changed with, re with regard to you in this so, space? Natalie, it's been such an interesting growth experience. I've had to do a lot of work around this because on the one hand, yeah, it's hugely empowering. It's also, um, there's been a lot of mindset work that I've had to do because everything for me that has been empowering, I've had to work through a lot of imposter complex mm -hmm. that, that goes along with the empowering piece. So for example, earlier this year, I did a program called CEO Confidence with a colleague of mine. We went through um, uh, another, uh, I think it was a lead generation program that I went through with her, an online uh, course that I went through with her. And I was hesitant to even take that program because she marketed it for founders of companies. And mm. I didn't think that I was quote, big enough to consider myself a founder of a mm. company. It's just me. Like, how could I consider myself a founder or a CEO? And by the time I got through this program, which was, I don't know, six weeks long or something like that, I had no qualms about calling, referring to myself as a founder and a CEO. I am absolutely the CEO of my business, even though my business at the moment is still really just me and I'm about to hire a virtual assistant and I have a bookkeeper. But my, my vision for my business is so much bigger than that. And the fact that I am virtual and 100% virtual, I enables me to do so much more than I would have would have even contemplated you know a year and a half ago for example I was just speaking with a client in, in conversation with the client I ended up not getting this gig but this was a client in Kenya based in Kenya with offices all around the world and I would not have been facilitating the gig myself because it would have been taken place at you know, 4 a.m. my time or something, I would have subcontracted with facilitators that I know personally who actually live in Europe. So I'm basically turning into a global company. You are, you are. And, and you know, it's that mindset shift, right? But as you were talking about what you didn't consider yourself, we often really just come to judgment through our own lens, but the world sees something else. 
So this, you know, this is amazing. Now you're, you're stepping into this really powerful position because you're so unique at what you do. I understand that wrestling with the imposter piece. So let's talk about what you would say to another woman who is standing up a business like yours. Um, and, it, you know, she may be the only one in the space or, or as you refer to it, not big enough, but what is big enough? So what, what would you say to her now? Because you've had this time to sort of reflect and say, hmm, I, I might want to kind of rethink how I'm thinking about myself. Well, you know, I had something very interesting happen recently. I was at a business retreat um, on the other coast. And what was probably the most empowering, impactful thing that happened to me at this business retreat was getting mirrored back to me how other people perceive me and my business. And because we, we have no idea how, you know, all we see is our own perceptions of ourselves, right? We, we're like inside our own little jar and we see, everybody else sees the highlight reels, right? And we just see the glitz the and the glam. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're in the and, panic mode constantly. Like, you know. Right, right. Everybody sees the duck just you know, smoothly gliding on the water. And all we are aware of is our little- The foot action. Feet, right? Paddling yeah. like mad. Love it. And one, of, and one of my colleagues said to me, Melissa, I thought you already had a million dollar business. Wow. And that just, my jaw dropped because I- didn't have a million dollar business yet. And that completely blew my mind. And it made me, uh, it was, it, it just, that, that uh, was a huge paradigm shift for me. So I, that's what I would say to somebody like, you know, if I could, if I could say to somebody else in my shoes, just getting started, you have no idea how you are being perceived and somebody else is going to look at you and think you already have a million dollar business. So you actually already have a million dollar business. You are growing it right now. Right now, right now, putting in that into the atmosphere, but also um, working in that way. I have a million dollar business. Right. Day one. Right. Uh, wow. Amazing. Okay. Well, what would you say at this point is your proudest professional accomplishment? It may really be small in this new, ever evolving million dollar business that you have, but what would you, you know, what kind of makes you warm and, and reflective uh, of your proudest moment? You know, I, I think my proudest professional accomplishment is publishing my book. Mm, tell us about that. So back in 2016, well, before that, 
I had the goal, uh, as many people do, of publishing a book. And back in 2016, I formed the, I made the commitment that I was going to publish a book that year. That was the year I was going to turn 50. And I determined that I was going to publish a book by the time I turned 50. And um, I think it was August that I suddenly went, oh shoot, I better get on the stick because my birthday's coming up. And I had a lot of content already. And I knew what I knew I had a, a general idea of what I wanted this book to be, but I didn't have the book yet. You know, I didn't have it all together yet. So I reached out to a book coach and editor and hired her. And she was amazing. And she helped me get it together. And, and I, in Natalie, I had to do so much work to make this happen. I had to look at my days, my schedule. I had to clear, get rid of a whole bunch of activities that I was doing that I didn't like, I did not have time for and clear my days so that I would have I don't, even, I don't remember what it was, but it was like three hours a day or something to work on this book. I did the writing, I did the design, I did, you know, I did the book design, I did the cover design, I did, I'm, I am so proud of this book. I assembled a launch team. I did, I, I'm so proud of this book because not only did I write, write, write it, get it edited, and publish it and launch it. But I have friends who, um, who are in the uh, run workshops on book publishing and stuff like that. And they bring stacks of books that are self-published and traditionally published to you know, their students and have their students sort them according to what they think are self-published and what they think, think are traditionally published. And my book always gets put in the, they think it's traditionally published pile. So I am just so proud of my book. That's amazing. Congratulations on your book. And for our listening audience, what is the title of the book and the thrust of it? My book is called The Creative Sandbox Way, Your Path to a Full Color Life. And it is really a love letter to my younger self. It is uh, based around the 10 guideposts that I figured out to help me get past my creative stuck, my creative block. and. The thing that I am so proud of about this book is that I don't, many people are perhaps familiar with The Artist's Way, which is a, an, an amazing, wonderful book that I absolutely love that takes, I can't remember if it's six weeks or 12 weeks that people go through this, this, this process to like, like reclaim their creativity. And what I am so proud of about my book is that people have told, countless people have told me that it has given them their creative creativity back practically overnight. And 
at the end, as opposed to like the artist way, which is like this long, almost torturous process to get your creativity back. My book, you it allows people to reclaim their creativity almost overnight. Well, and we all need to be able to reclaim that creativity. We've had to show up so differently, um, but it's okay to show up in a colorful and bright and inviting way um, and not let our immediate environment put the damper on us that we sometimes feel. It's so heavy sometimes, isn't it? So I love, I love your focus of bringing back the fun and color to work, that cross-section of business and art and creativity. Amazing. And look at you using all of your talents and skills over the years to accomplish so much. This is amazing. Now, is there one person who you might think of as being uh, an inspiration to you or a motivator or, you know, cheerleader? Um, is there someone or something, maybe it's a book itself, not your book, uh, that <laughs> is a point of inspiration um, or has just kept you going, like, you know, that you can think of to share? Well, you know, my mom has always been an incredible champion my whole life. She's always been um, both my mom and my husband, really, <laughs> they've been amazing champions. My mom um, doesn't always understand what I do, but from the very beginning, my mother has always encouraged my creativity and has, all, you know, I, I'm so grateful to have the parents that I do. That I, I feel just so incredibly, incredibly lucky to have parents who encourage my creativity. I got, as a young child, I had music lessons. And back in those days, they actually had music in the schools. I don't know if they do anymore, but, and I had, you know, art in the schools and I got after school art. And, um, you know, I, I got stuck in a, in a state of uh, perfectionist paralysis quite young. Um, but my parents have always, always been very, very encouraging and, um, and yeah. And my mom, my mom started playing the harp in her fifties. And I got to tell you that is an inspiration. Mm. And my dad started playing the harp about six months, uh, the, the flute about six months later, and they have a duet and they've been playing now for, you know, gosh, 30 years together. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Amazing. Yeah. I just, I, I love hearing that, that, you know, so much nurturing and encouragement um, happened to you. Uh, at a very young age. So you've never stopped this quest of, you know, creativity and our appreciation and love of, of art and the benefit well, I did, of I it. I did stop. I, I got very, very creatively blocked for, for about 15 years in my youth. Mm. Um, but I, but I got past that as an adult. 
you know, I, I didn't make any art from age 13 to what, 28. Uh, yeah. What was it you think that's kind of started that block? Was you know, there I remember, I remember taking, um, you know, gifted and talented art classes and I started comparing myself to other people. Mm. It was that comparison trap, which started very, very young for me. And I think, so this is, this is the downside of having very encouraging parents. This is before Carol Dweck's work on, um, uh, Carol, D uh, Carol Dweck, um, now I'm blanking on, uh, the, uh, uh this is what happens when you get older and your memory goes, um, <laughs> The, um, oh, now I'm, I'm, uh, she, she wrote a book. Um, oh, shoot. Uh, there are two types of, um, two ways of different, of approaching, um, uh, I, I can see it in my head. I can see the name of her book and I'm just, I'm not, um, I'm not thinking of it. Shoot, Carol Dweck. Well, the, the idea is you, you either have, a, a, it's my, it's a mindset thing. You either have a, oh, a growth, growth mindset, growth, uh -huh. a fixed mindset. A fixed. So my, my very loving, well-intended parents told me how talented and smart I was. And so I developed a very fixed mindset. mindset. And so or very early on, I, you know, I would look at, you know, an, an oil painting and think, well, I can't paint like that. Therefore I suck. Not yeah. realizing that paint, learn, you know, painting like that is something that you can learn how to do, but it takes time, right? That thinking that you either know how to paint like that or you don't. Or not. Right. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, so I remember taking an art class at, I think, age 13, and I think I was with adults. I think I was, you know, the 13-year-old, and there were a bunch of adults, and we went outside to draw trees, mm. and we came back inside, and everybody else's trees looked like I could, I could identify the trees out on the patio, and I felt like mine looked like a scribble, and that was it. I quit. I mm. just quit. Shut down. I just completely shut down and I didn't take any art classes or do any art except a couple of drawings that I didn't show anybody for 15 years, wow. 15 years. Yeah, wow. mm -hmm. that was it. Wow. I, I started dancing at age 16, but I refused to do any art because, you know, other people were the artists, not me. me. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. So many times we, we do that to ourselves that we self-inflict and yep. we come to judgment and we completely shut down. Yeah. Um, well, I'm so glad you got that groove back <laughs> that you, you found that flame and, you know, launched into it head on. So this is amazing. Um, I'm always an encourager, women encouraging women, and you know the power of groups and women. Um, we have a connection through Susan Freeman. Yeah. Um, connecting with her. Um, 
how do you know Susan uh, very briefly? And then I wanna talk about what we think you might say to another woman in terms of helping out and reaching out to help her. Oh, I know Susan through the club of Silicon Valley. Yes. Which is a women's leadership network that I've been a member of for, oh my gosh, I think it's maybe four years or more now. Time flies. <laughs> ah, I know, and especially with the pandemic, which <laughs> makes it feel like time is just, I don't know, condensed in a very strange way. It has been strange. Uh, yes, very peculiar in terms of figuring out how long it's really been. Um, <laughs> but that sounds like an amazing network of women. And, and so this is, you can attest to how, um, what we think women should be keeping top of mind when it comes to other women. Yeah, yeah. The, the club has been amazing. The, the women that I've met in the club have all just been so generous and smart. And really, it's, it's, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful group. And is there something that you would say to another woman before we wrap up our time together about how you would like to support other women, especially in business, um, as you are a, a businesswoman and you, you have many colleagues around you who are trying to get there at different stages and phases in their journey, or even that younger 13 year old who, you know, needs someone to help her along the way. Is there something that you would say to encourage another woman in her reaching back to help others? Yeah, you know, I, I talk with uh, colleagues about this a lot, how important it is for women to support other women. And I see women don't always do this. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it feels really, really important to me for women to support each other and not backbite each other. And um, encourage each other and help each other along the way. And um, this includes, uh, you know, paying each other for, you know, valuing each other's time. And um, when you see a woman um, doing something that looks, uh, maybe, it, maybe it looks like big, or they're charging a lot of money or something like that to not speak badly about that, but to, you know, cheer them on yeah. for, for, for doing something that looks big, even if it feels like it's out of, maybe it feels out of reach for you, cheer them on for that rather than, you know, dismissing them or dissing them in any way, you know, a rising tide raises all ships, right? So we, we want to, we want to see women thrive. Yeah. We don't want to push women down. Absolutely. And I think that you made such a great point that, you know, having empathy in, in seeing how someone values their product is so important. Um, and it is important to support. And sometimes you can support, other times you can't, but you can support in different ways. It doesn't always have to be monetary. So I like that you said, you know what, cheer them on. If you can't do it, post their event, share it or whatever. But 
I love the admire the fact that they have the chutzpah to put a value on something that you were like, okay, uh, okay, all right, um, um, I see where you're going, um, and and I love that. So this is great. This has been a great time. I uh, loved getting to hear your story, and what an incredible journey you've been on. I'm so glad to see where you are and just this retreat that you uh, were a part of and all of this amazing work that you're doing to bring uh, color and vibrancy back uh, into a space that's much needed, creating a niche for yourself that is a million dollar business uh, in you know just moving forward, which is great. Uh, so is there anything that you want to close out with? Anything special that you want our listeners to know about Melissa Dinwiddie as we say goodbye? I'm just going to give you the mic again for any sort of closing thoughts or, or comments. Oh, I don't think I, I don't think we talked about my creativity retreats and I'll just share that that is something, you know, that used to be my main business was my my creativity instigator part of me. And that's still like, that's sort of like my, I wouldn't even call it a hustle. That's like this, that's like my love. That's the thing I do for love. And I just came from that last week. I was leading this creativity retreat that happened to be over my birthday and I still run them. It's not like a big profit center for me at all. It's not like I'm making a profit on these, but I, I love leading these creativity retreats. They are so special to me. They nourish me and feed me. And, um, and I'm going to keep doing them because they're so special and fun. And I do, I do incorporate uh, applied uh, improv in, in the retreats and and actually, Natalie, it is leading these retreats as part of what made me realize that I could facilitate workshops for companies because the activities that I lead at the retreats are essentially the same activities that I lead for companies. I just debrief them differently. So I owe a lot of you know my business to leading these pure play, artistic gathering groups of heart-centered people together to make their, you know, do their creative projects. I owe a lot of my business to these creativity retreats. I love that. And how can our listeners find you? Tell them where to find you, how to get in contact with you so they can learn more and maybe they can get on one of your retreats. <laughs> Absolutely. So you can always find me at my personal website, which is melissadinwitty.com. It's a little hard to spell. Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, Dinwitty, D-I-N, as in Nancy, W-I-D-D, as in David, I-E.com. My consultancy website is creativesandbox.solutions. You can also get there at creativesandboxsolutions.com. That will go to the same place. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Melissa Dinwiddie. And uh, I post my artwork on Instagram and you can see that at a underscore creative underscore life. 
Well, thank you so much, Melissa. It was a pleasure having you as our Wonder Woman in business today. I learned so much about you. I wish you all the best. Uh, I can see you are going places uh, and going there fast. So we look forward to seeing so much more and hearing about you as you move forward. Thank you for being our guest today. It was wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you so much. You're a wonderful interviewer and this has been a pleasure and a delight. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening today. It's been our pleasure to have this conversation.